Heavenly Father, we just we just ask you to prepare our hearts. As Father, we've heard this story so many times. But open our hearts to hear it again. Father, help us to see just how much you love us. Help us to realize we can't do this without you. Bless your word today as we go forth. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today we're in chapter 23, Luke 23. We're going through what I've entitled My Road to Calvary. Now, today is Palm Sunday. Um, we covered that almost two weeks ago. So I'm not going to go back because to try to get this to work out, I want to end next Sunday with the resurrection. So we're just going to continue on through. But in the book of Luke, from about chapter 19 through 24, is all the last week of his life. And so we've been taking a real serious look at it. So I want to back up a little bit. And I want to read us a little bit out of 22 so we get the context right of where we're beginning today. So Luke 22, 66, we're going to read it that through 71. It says, As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying. Now, the council is the Sanhedrin. It's like the Jewish Supreme Court. And last week, what we had saw is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was, was praying and asking the Lord for help, and that's when they came and they arrested him. Well, they took him to the chief council's house. So now morning has broke, and they're taking him from there. Verse 67 they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, will by no means believe. And if also I ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Verse 69, hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they said, are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, you rightly say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it for ourselves from his own mouth. Blasphemy. Luke 23, verse 1. The whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, we have found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar 
saying that he himself is the Christ king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. Verse 4, Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I have found no fault in this man. He wasn't afraid that Jesus said, I'm the king of the Jews. Didn't, didn't make him afraid at all. So he said he found no problem with this guy. But they, with more fear, saying, he stirs up the people teaching throughout all of Judah, beginning from Galilee to this place. And when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked the man, were you a Galilean? And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who also was in Jerusalem at this time. Interesting how all things play out. But Pilate didn't want to, neither did Herod actually, want to put Christ to death. In fact, history tells us that Pilate was in a little bit of a pickle himself because the Roman government had already accused Pilate of killing people kind of haphazardly, and you better stop doing this. Fact is, after the crucifixion, Rome called him back. And he had to go back. He lost his governorship, and he wound up committing suicide himself because of this incredible deed that he had performed. Verse 8 says, Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. For he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard of the many things about him. And he hoped to see some miracles done by him. So he was excited to see the dog and pony show. Jesus, do something for me. In fact, you'll notice as Jesus' testimony, he doesn't say a word to this guy. Because he knows he just wants a show. Then he questioned him with many words. But he, Jesus, answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him. And they arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other. For previously, they had been at enmity with each other. They became friends playing a game with a man's life, is what was happening. Verse 13, then Pilate, when he, had, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, he said to them, you have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people, and indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault with this man concerning those things which you accuse him. Verse 15, neither, no, neither did Herod, for I sent him back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him, Jesus. Verse 16, I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it is necessary, verse 17, for him to release one of them at the feast. This was a regular thing. They would always, at the feast of the Passover, they would release one criminal. as a get-out-of-jail-free card, is what the Roman government would do. 
for the Jewish government. Verse 18, and they all cried out at once, saying, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Just remember that name. We'll come back to him. Who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. But they shouted, saying, crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them the third time, why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Meaning they would just beat him with a whip, flog him in public. He hasn't done anything wrong. Let's just do that. Verse 23. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released that to them the one they requested, who was there for rebellion and murder and had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Wow. It's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to even read. So what was Jesus actually officially charged with? We know about their fake news and their lies. But what was it these Jewish leaders accusing him of that was worthy of death? Well, their biggest complaint was blasphemy. They were so upset that he said he was God. They did not believe that he was sent by God, that he was the son of God. And when he pulled the I am card, they literally lost their minds. They couldn't accept it. Now, this is interesting because I have known people, people that I've admired, who have studied the Bible for many years, and I considered them scholarly in their studies. And they have asked, why did the Jews believe that Jesus said he is God? It seemed to me he always beat around the bush, or he would say, as you say I am. To me, that's not saying clearly I am God. Many Christians and others have had this same question. Why didn't he just say it? I am God. Well, my answer to them and maybe to you, because maybe you have that same question. You've been reading this and you haven't seen him say, I am God. It was kind of veiled and, and kind of mysterious of how he was talking. Like a lot of others, you may have this question in your mind. Why didn't he just say it? Why didn't he just simply say it? And here's the problem. He did say it. He did say it clearly, and they understood it. Why do you think they crucified him? Because he said it. But here's where the problem lies. We, in our 21st century minds and intellect, where for most of us non-Jewish people, our 21st century thinking is without clear understanding of the Jewish language, 
the messianic meaning that causes some misunderstanding. Messianic meanings, just so you know what that is, relating to the Messiah. Any prophecy that was foretold, a messianic meaning, it was talking about the coming one, which is Jesus. So what am I saying? The first century Jews spoke and understand the language, which is different than we do. And there were many messianic statements and titles that Jesus used that straight up said, I am God. When we see this, it'll help us to understand why they were so angry and why they wanted to kill him. I want you to think for a minute. You know, if somebody came into the church professing to be the Messiah, we'd go pretty crazy, wouldn't we? And so say he reached over and touched Roxana's ears and cleared everything up and he touched Joe and diabetes just went away. But yet we know what the living word of God says, and they had the living word of God, but they couldn't see that it was Jesus as the one that they had studied about, they had wrote. So I'm trying to get you to understand how they were feeling about this. It was so, they were so confused. I think they wanted to believe, but the more Jesus talked and the more he used these messianic terms that pointed to he, hey, I am the one, I am the Christ, the angrier they got. They were so upset because he said he was God. Let's, look, let's go back and look at uh, Luke 22, 67 through 69. That's where it really started. They said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. Well, we understand that. We knew that what he was saying was true. They're not going to believe. Verse 68, and he says, but if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Then he said this. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit at the right hand of the power of God. Now look at what they said. Then they said, are you the son of God? And he said to them, you rightly say that I am. Jesus uses this term son of man more than 80 times throughout the gospel. It's a messianic title used by the prophet Daniel. I want you to see this. Look at Daniel 7, 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, like, like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. This is where, where it all came from, the Son of Man, from, from the prophet Daniel. The term Son of Man, because God is, he is God that came to earth as the prophet said, through the birth canal of a woman as a man. It's the only way he could have been called the Son of Man. Jewish leaders knew and understood this. The Son of Man is a messianic term saying he is from God. That's why they were so angry. Because he, he says, I'm from God. Look at verse 69, 2269. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit at the right hand of the power of God. 
Well, sit at the right hand. He's using a direct quote from Psalms 110.1. He's quoting David, King David, in this, in this Psalms. Let's look at that. Psalms 110.1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord is God. The other Lord is Jesus. Through God the Father is the creator of all. David knew that there was a more direct relationship with Christ as a personal Savior and Redeemer of his house and Israel. Hence, Christ being David's Lord, or my Lord, this helps us see these seemingly little statements to help what was driving them crazy. They couldn't believe he was speaking these things. We read them and it kind of goes over our head. We don't see it the way they were seeing it. Here, I'm going to show you a few and, and I'll get right back to Luke. I want you to see in John chapter 8, verses 53 through 59. 53 says, you are greater than our father Abraham. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Well, they're basically, they're saying, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are making these claims? I mean, Abraham's been dead for centuries up to this point. Verse 54, Jesus said, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Let you yet you have not known him, but I know him, and I also say, I do not know him. If I say to you, I do not know him, I shall be a liar, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Man, I tell you what, it, this, this, that, that was it. Because he used the I am card. I am God. That's what he was saying. And they were just literally losing their minds when he said that. This is where he got it. He got it from Exodus 3, 14 and 15. Remember when Moses was talking to the burning bush? Verse 14, it says, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Verse 15, Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God, your fathers." The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. This is why they killed him. Because he was saying, I am God. Clearly and plainly, in their terms, in their understanding, they knew exactly what he was saying. I want to show you John eight fifty nine. Then, he took, then they took up stones to throw at him. They were ready to kill him then. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, 
so he passed by. You know, he kind of just vaporized in their midst. You know, he just started walking through them, and all of a sudden he was gone. He was gone. Look at John 10, 37 through 31. Jesus here is talking to his disciples. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. It's pretty clear what he's saying, right? Here Jesus is talking to his disciples. Look at John 14, verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Wow. But Philip said to him, show us the Father and it'll be sufficient for us. <laughs> he didn't get it. He, he, you know, like most of the disciples, he just didn't get it. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? There should be no question in your mind who Jesus is. And he made it really plain. Look at Matthew 26, 65. Then the high priest tore their clothes. He has spoken blasphemy. What further do we need to have of witness? We don't need any more. Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. Verse 66, they said to the rest of the Sanhedrin, and they answered and said, he is deserving death. With this blasphemy, he's deserving death. But they have a problem. They have a real problem because they want to kill Jesus and they would like to kill him just for this blasphemy. That's enough in our religious law or religious rule. But the problem is, a couple of years prior, A.D. 30, the Romans passed a law taking the right of capital punishment away from the Jewish nation. Only the Romans could put a man to death. The Romans are not going to put this man to death over a religious disagreement or an argument. They had to come to something. They had to come up with something that is much more serious. And they did. We heard it. It's called sedition. Sedition is an overt conduct, such as speech and organization that tends toward rebellion against the established order. Sedition often includes subversion of constitution and incitement, just incitement of all things wrong. So they had to come up with something. They had to say something to the Romans. Let's go back to Luke 23, 2. And it starts off with, and they began to accuse him, saying, we have found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Well, we know that that's fake news, right? 
We, we remember hearing the story, what Jesus said. He said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Remember when he said, show me a coin. Whose face is on that coin? Oh, Caesar. Then render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. It was straight up lie. Never happens in our world today to politicians that they lie and accuse people of sedition, but it, it happens. John nineteen fifteen. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. You got to realize how low of a point they have just come. They've denied God as their king. We're denying God, and we're accepting you, Caesar. You're our king, and you need to put this man to death. Hmm. It's a terrible thing. It's incredibly sad. They have no king but Caesar. Where is God in all this? But getting back to our story, this Barabbas guy, who is he? His name is mentioned in all four Gospels, but we know very little about him. There is nothing ever written about him after this in the Gospels. It's, he disappears. The Gospel calls him a notorious murderer, someone who caused riots or disturbances, and Mark and Luke call him a murderer. He's a real criminal. He's a real sinner. Why would they want him released? Well, it really had nothing to do with him. The Sanhedrin wanted Jesus dead, and now they were inciting the people to agree with them. Having Barabbas released satisfied the rule that the Romans were to release one person of their choosing for the Passover. Barabbas was their guy. You know, I, I heard a preacher once many, many years ago and I was sitting in service. He was preaching this very same message. And I've never forgot what he said. He said, if I was there at this time, I would have said, release Barabbas too. And it really confused me. What a horrible thing to say. You would say, release Barabbas too. Yes, that's what I would say. And a short pause later, he said, I would say release Barabbas because I need a savior to die for my sins. I am Barabbas. We are Barabbas. He died for our sins. Yes, the Jews killed him, but the Roman government also played a part in killing him, and so did you and me. Our sin. We are Barabbas, all of us, lost in our sin. If Christ didn't die on that cross, it's an interesting irony. You know, I've talked a lot in the past few weeks about names and how important they are to see their meanings. The name Barabbas in the Greek, the first part of it is bar, which means son. The second part is Abba. That is interesting. 
So God, Jesus, the righteous son of God, died so the unrighteous man could be set free. Son of the Father is what Barabbas' name means. You can't just make this stuff up. God shows us clearly through his word everything that we need to see. I'm going to drop down so we can move on a little bit. Let's go to verse 32, Luke 23, 32. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. These two were more than likely guilty of their crimes, deserving death. But we know that Jesus was completely innocent. Crucifying this two men, one on the right and one on the left, was a punishing punishing way to display Jesus in his deity, king of the Jews. He's the king of the Jews, and here's his followers. One on the right and one on the left. But verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Verse 35, and all the people stood looking on But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him, the letters in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, they wanted to make sure everybody knew what was said. This is the king of the Jews. Let's jump down to verse 44. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. You guys see that? That's three hours. The sixth hour was noon. The ninth hour was three o'clock. It was dark. But more was happening is that. It says, verse 45, Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. The veil in the temple was at least three inches thick. It was torn completely from the top to the bottom which we know that symbolizes that we are now able to come into the throne room of God because of what Jesus Christ has done. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Wow. I know every Easter we have to preach the same story. And it's hard to relook at this again and again and again. But it's important because if we don't keep reminding us, the next generation behind us won't have any idea. And that you have no idea how close that is to happening in our country. 
that the next generation doesn't know the stories that we have heard so many times over and over again. I wanted you to see this in Matthew 27, 50 through 53. And Christ cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up, he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn into two from the top to the bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. Listen to this one. It's the only place in the Gospels you see it. And the graves were open, and many bodies of the spirits who had fallen asleep were raised. Wow. Talk about the night of the walking dead. Actually, this was the day. It says 53, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. They appeared to many. What an amazing time. And we're celebrating it here today. What an amazing time. Last week, we seen Jesus together at the Last Supper, which we call Holy Communion. And we're going to take Holy Communion today. We typically do. It's the first Sunday of the month. It would have been kind of cool to do it last week because we were talking about that in subject, but it's okay that we do it this week. Because I want us to remember all that he had done for us. Luke 23, 47, and says, And when the centron saw what had happened, he glorified God. Certainly, this was a righteous man. People were seeing what had happened. I'd like my communion ushers to please come. No, no, I got four. Go ahead and stand up front there. I'll bring this to you. I'm going to leave the recording running because I want you at home that's listening to this to partake in communion with us. It doesn't have to be anything special. We use a little bit of grape juice and a cracker. If you guys would go ahead and distribute a piece, awesome. So some might say, well, pastor, why do you do communion? It's really in remembrance of the Passover. When the angel of death passed over Israel and if they had blood on the doorposts, they didn't lose their firstborn child. Then Jesus died on a cross and brought us into a new covenant, a new time. And he said to his disciples, just last week we studied this, they were sitting there at dinner, and, 
And he broke bread and he handed it to him and said, this is my body. It's going to be broken. It's going to be beaten. It's going to be so sorely abused. But remember, this is my body. I can only imagine how confused they were. They, they couldn't understand. What, what is he saying? And then when he took the cup and he filled the cup, it was one of the cups. Remember last week we talked about the cups that they would pass at the Passover at the Seder dinner. And he had this cup. It was like a goblet of, of wine. And he took a sip and he handed it to the rest. He said, go pass it around the room. And do this in remembrance. This is my blood. And it's going to be shed for the repentance of all everybody's sin, the whole world. Not just us, but the whole world. That's what's so incredible. He included everyone. There is nobody not included in this covenant. But they have to accept it. This kind of reminds me of the conversation I had with my daughter. Last week, we talked about her accepting Jesus as her Savior. I said, I kind of put you on the spot, honey. Let's talk about this. And I said, have you ever done that before? Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ before? Because there are many years that we lived apart, and she may have went to church somewhere. And I said, had it ever had before? And she goes, no, but I've always known Jesus. Okay, that's really good, honey. She goes, I, I've always known that he is God, and he is the son of God. I've always known him. I said, okay, that's all good. But there's one more thing. She goes, what's that? And I said, you have to receive it. You have to receive it. Knowing it's one thing. Satan knows it too. He knows it. He knows that this is God, and he truly is the son of God, and is God, and what he had done. You know, at the time that Satan thought he won when Jesus died. He thought, ha, ha, I killed him. Oh, little did he know. You just fell right into God's plan. And so I want to make sure, because like, like my precious daughter, there may be others who go, yeah, I know Jesus and I believe. The Bible says if I believe. But you have to receive. You have to receive his gift. And ask him to come into your heart and to live in your heart. And then things will begin to change slowly but surely. You know, things begin to change because God is now on the inside of us. Well, what if I still sin? Well, I do too. A whole lot less than I used to, praise God. But you know what? He lives inside of me and he convicts me so quick. To apologize quickly. Forgive me for the things I say sometimes, Joe. Because, you know, I, we're just people. We say stupid things. But he is God. And he did this for us. So I'm going to pray over this little piece of bread. And then we're going to take and eat it together. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to see what this truly means. Not just another thing we do once a month. Father, that this is a, a renewing of our spirit, a renewing of our soul. We're accepting you as our Lord and Savior. 
And we're going to continue to do this in remembrance of you until we get to that supper, sitting there with you, Father, in heaven. Oh, what a day that will be. If I can only imagine. Father, bless this as we take and eat in Jesus' name. He had told the disciples clearly that he was going to die. But you remember me preaching back a few weeks ago. The Holy Spirit didn't really didn't allow them to hear it. Because if they knew what was going to happen, I believe those mighty men would have grabbed him and hit him off in a cave somewhere. No, he's our, he's our man. He's our leader. But at this supper, they knew there was something different. Because this was the Passover dinner. That all the, the same things were said every, every year at the same time. They would say the same prayers over this particular cup. And then the next cup would come and they would say the same prayer and the same saying. Reminding them of the great Passover of what God had done. And Jesus changed it up. He didn't say the normal prayers. He said, this one, this one represents me. And my blood is going to be shed for you. Forever. All you have to do is believe and receive this incredible gift. So, Father, help us to receive this gift. Father, I pray, I humble myself before you. Father, I'm a foolish human being that makes mistakes. Father, wash me clean again. Because of your love for us is unbelievable. Father, wash us clean. Take and drink. I'm not sure how well this communion took on a recording. We will find out shortly. Tony, could you and your team come back up? I just want people at home to know and participate in God's holy communion. God bless you.